Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. All right. Good morning again. I want to start with a story, uh, a memory that popped up in my mind when I read this passage over and over for this week. It was a day so frustrating that I still remember it more than 30 years later. I just finished college and uh, I was back home living with my folks and I had yet to start my new job and so I had a lot of downtime and one day the cable TV went out. That's horrible for a guy like me because if I have a lot of downtime, I'm watching stuff. And so I called the cable guy, and you know how the cable guys work. He gave me a wonderful window of 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. during which he might show up. The thing about my folks' house is that the doorbell growing up, for as long as I can remember, was really unreliable. It was one of those old-school doorbells, and if you didn't jiggle it just right, there'd be no connection of the circuit, no sound. So only one out of every six visitors could actually trigger the doorbell. And I knew it was important for this guy to, I had to answer the door. My bedroom was on the second floor. And so I I just had to sit there the whole day tense and in anticipation waiting for this fool to show up. I couldn't go out. I obviously couldn't watch TV. I couldn't listen to music. I couldn't take a nap. The only thing I could do all day was eat, sit, and just wait. I was afraid even to read in case I fell asleep doing it. What time do you think that guy showed up? Yeah, I was like very close to 3 p.m. And I just learned that day that I really hate having my life controlled by the will of other people. I hate it. I hate being dependent on someone else's volition or timing because I learned that day that I really treasure autonomy. That memory, though it was not some earth-shattering, life-changing experience, popped into my mind because it reminds me of the Israelites' experience. That although there had so many people gathered and they were in transit, They weren't free to come and go whenever they wanted. There was this dynamic by which God led them in the most strange, disruptive, unpredictable way. And that's strange to me because they were on the way to a place that was promised to be a rich and beautiful land that would become their permanent home. So on the way to a place where they would settle and plant roots and never leave, they would just be home sweet home, what a weird way to train them and lead them on the way there. He would just basically, here's how it worked, okay? They'd learn to set up the tabernacle. Trailer team and setup team, pay attention here because these guys are your spiritual ancestors. All the stuff involved with setting up this tabernacle, a huge church made out of tents, were pulled along on trailers dragged by oxen. And then it took a couple dozen guys an entire morning to set up this whole thing. And once they learned to set it up, God's presence came and settled over that tent of worship. 
He came in a form that was visible, a pillar of cloud, which at nighttime glowed so that it looked like a pillar of fire. It was a visual representation of the presence of God. And once they set that up, they understood through Moses, because God had revealed this to them, wherever that thing is, that's where God is. And if it moves, God's moving, we follow. It's not up to us to sit there and analyze or decide when we feel like moving. You know, in the, in the ageless words of those philosophers called the clash, we all ask, should I stay or should I go? If I go, there will be trouble. If I stay, it will be double. So you gotta let me know. Because that's the answer. That's a question that haunts most of us. You know, you stay at a place, and you're like, am I still supposed to be here? Is this really where I belong? The Israelites were on their way to a permanent home. After being released from centuries of slavery, whole generations knowing nothing other than belonging to another human being, having nothing to call their own, suddenly they had freedom and were on the way to a place that would be their forever house. If you look at this picture, I don't know if I can, <clears throat> let me cue up to it. There it is. That's what the camp looked like. The tabernacle, the place of worship, basically occupied the center part. I think the artist took some liberties to make it look a little like a cross, but really, there were 12 tribes of Israel, and in sections, according to tribes, three tribes in each section, north, east, south, and west, they would form their own encampment. If you've ever been camping, you, you have a small sense of what it takes to set up a tent, just one tent. This was a moving city of tents. It was a huge production. And when you read Exodus chapter 12, verses 37 to 38, here's what it records for us. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses, a, a city in Egypt, to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. So it's not a small group. It's not like a harvest congregational retreat with maybe 200. I think this year we have record registration ever in the history of our church for the retreat. It's pretty amazing. I think 285 people or something like that are registered for our retreat. That's amazing. You would not believe the amount of work it takes to set up a temporary dwelling on a campus for almost 300 people. Just try 600,000 plus the women and the children and all the other entourage of friends they picked up along the way and thousands of animals. It was a huge deal. They had to make pathways. They had to organize. Where do we set up again? Where is our tribe? And once you set up all those tents, you've got to create pathways and roads. You've got to dig latrines. You know, it's not like they, they just had running water plumbing. The latrine was a shovel and a hole. And for over a million people, that's a lot of shovels, a lot of holes, and a lot of stuff that goes into it. You've got to create corrals for the animals. You get the picture of just how big a deal it was for the Israelites to encamp or to set out. In the passage that Josie read for us, 
like half a dozen times it says, wherever the cloud was, they would stay. And whenever it moved, so wherever it settled, they would encamp. And whenever it moved, they would set out. Such easy words to say, encamp and set out, until you recognize just how massive a production it was just to settle or to move on. You know, that pillar of cloud was a clear, visible symbol that God was with his people. I so wish we had something like that. Wouldn't it be cool if that still worked today? Like on your way to church as you're approaching Auburn Estates High School, you are nearing the parking lot and you look and there's no cloud over the building. You're like, oh, waste of time. I'm going to go home and sleep. Why show up at church if God isn't here? What's the point of that? I can see my friends any day of the week. I don't have to get up early on Sunday to see my friends. Wouldn't it be so convenient if we had a visual marker of the presence of God among us? Imagine what that would do for those of us who struggle all the time with doubt about the faith we grew up with. Unfortunately, we don't have something that obvious and that visible today. But we have this record that once, many years ago, God led his people this way. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tents, the Israelites set out. And wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. He made it really easy for them to know when to stay and when to go. Problem was that sometimes the cloud would only stay put overnight. I just want you to think about that. You spend the entire half a day making this insane tent city. You're exhausted, sweaty. There's no showers. You're going to bed sticky. You're tired. And the next morning, you hear the horn sound. There's a lot of murmuring. And the cloud is moving 100 yards down the wilderness. And you're like, no! There's no way I'm undoing this. I remember I went to a conference once. And it was at a hotel that I tried to save a little money for the church. Um, <clears throat> I learned my lesson the hard way. I got into the first room, and it was clear that people had been smoking much marijuana in that room. And I, the first thing I saw when I walked in was a giant roach, and I, <laughs> I had to kill it. And so the thing is, though, if you know me, when I go to a hotel room, the first thing I'll do is unpack everything. I don't live out of suitcases, even if it's just an overnight stay. I will unpack and put it into dressers. I did that, and then the smell just got to me. And I, I laid there thinking, I'm not going to sleep with bugs. And so I called down to the front office. I asked for another room. They said, sure, we'll get you another room. So I had to do the whole thing over, got to that second room, another massive problem. I changed rooms three times in that one stay. And each time, like an idiot... I unpacked first. <laughs> That's such a stupid story, but it's, it's just, it's such a small thing, and yet I was so annoyed at the inconvenience of having to unpack everything, undo it all again, move on, and in the span of an hour, I did it three times. I cannot imagine what it felt like morale-wise to be in the, villa, in the camp of the Israelites and watch that cloud move on the next day. I think something in my flesh would say, see you guys later, I'm not going. The cloud's pretty big, I'll find it in a week. You guys go on without me. 
Here's another weird thing we read a couple verses later, or just one verse later. It says, whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days, a month, listen to this last one, or a year, just a year, a whole year in one camp. The Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, as soon as it lifted, they would set out. This verse creates a lot of tension, I think, in any church. Because like any group of people, the Israelites were a mixed bag. I, I found out that my brother's church, they spent the entire retreat. This is so interesting to me. They did the entire retreat around Enneagrams. And at the end of the retreat, everyone in that church knew what number they were and what to watch out for in themselves and in one another, how to get along with others. I don't know if we have the guts to pull that off. Who knows? But I'm sure that in that camp, there were people who loved stability, and there were people like me who thrived on unpredictability and change. There were those who longed to settle down and those who kept wanting to move on. Just out of curiosity, how many of you are in the stability, let's stay put, let's plant roots, let's not have change, you're in that camp. How many of you are like, I cannot stay in one place too long. Let's go. Yeah, the Tom, Tom Brady's, let's go. Let's get out of here. I'm like that. No matter what your personality was like, God would sometimes stay for two days, a month, a year. Some people might like the short stays longer than the long stays, but in the end, this was inconvenient for everybody. God was an equal opportunity disruptor. The short stays were hard because it's exhausting to set the whole thing up and it's so annoying to have to undo it all again before you really get comfortable where you are. Especially if you're one of those people who don't like change, this is really, really hard and disruptive. But I think the long stays are also really disruptive. You would pick, I mean, remember this, they were in the wilderness, not in some verdant valley flowing with things. That's where they were headed. They were in the wilderness now. And after a year staying in one place, you would have picked the area completely clean of any useful resources. I was just doing some visual imagining, just thinking about the latrine situation. A million to two million people peeing and pooping into holes in one place for a year. And, you know, it's not like that just goes away. There's nothing pulling that away. You just have to keep walking further and further away from camp to dig that hole. Can you imagine after a year of this, what that place smelled like, what it looked like, how inconveniently far you would have to walk just to relieve yourself with any privacy? Hygiene would become difficult. And that much inactivity always produces tension and infighting in a group of people. It's just human nature. You cannot stay put and have no change without people eventually going, let's kill each other. I'm sick of you. And that happened all the time. The Enneagram 7s in the Israelite camp would have been bouncing off the walls with boredom a year into that stay at that camp. I'm an Enneagram 7. We are the optimists, dreamers, adventurers. Without a fun component, we don't want to do anything. I could not handle a one-year stay. The same scenery, the same little campground, 
over and over and over. See, here's the thing. Even if you like some stays better than others, none of this was easy for anyone. The whole camp took turns being annoyed or disrupted. And the truth is sometimes they would stay a really short time in a really good spot. You'd sit there and go, man, this is amazing. There's actually a little creek of fresh water. There's a bunch of animals here to eat. There's lots of stuff. And then the next day, the pillar of cloud moves on. You're like, what is going on? This makes no sense. Other times, the pillar would stay put for a year in a really bad place. If you only looked at where the camp was moving and where the pillar of cloud was going... If that's all you focused on, the feelings you would have are mainly frustration and confusion. Because a lot of times, what God does doesn't actually make sense to us. I wish it did. I wish God was perfectly in tune with my logic. Don't you? But he does some really weird stuff. Do you know that my being here 27 years in is the exact last life I ever imagined I would have? If God had shown me that I'd be at the same church in the same suburb 27 years, I would have not entered ministry. And yet, strangely, God knew better than I did. This was the best life I could have had. I have no regrets going into midlife I love the life that unfolded. I would have never chosen it. The truth is, along the way, there were some things that happened. I just, I just went, God, either you stop paying attention, I'm on my own, or are you crazy? What sense does this make? I don't know why you would want me to stay. I don't know why you're asking us to move on. This has a lot of implications for us at an individual level. And I'm sure that's a lot of what is sparking off for some of you. But it has tremendous implications for us as a group, as a church family. Sometimes the way God leads us is not the way we'd want to go. And his leading is confusing. Listen, it's good for us to be smart, analytical, to apply our wisdom, to have dialogue. It's okay for us to do all that. We're not a church that just everyone goes off to their own corner, stares at the sky until God mystically speaks to some of us. We have lots of conversation here. We talk to each other. Opinions are heard. But at the end of the day, God will sometimes give us together a direction that defies logic that maybe even defies majority rule. It's risky to presume that that's what's happening. we got to be very sure when that's the case. But sometimes that's exactly what God does. I spent a lot of time this week asking myself, why does God lead the people of Israel this way when what he's doing is moving them from a disruptive unstable setting into a permanent home. What kind of training is this for people who are getting ready to settle the land and have a home? I suspect in part, it's because permanent homes are comfortable, secure places. Don't get me wrong, comfort is not evil. 
Okay? If you've ever gone on a mission trip with Harvest, you know that we're not the kind of church that thinks the more you suffer, the harder it is, the more spiritual it is. That's nonsense. I don't know where we got that idea that if you have to eat bugs the whole week, God is at work. Now, we're not exactly five-star folks either, but I don't see comfort as morally evil. In fact, it can be a gift from God. But I see comfort as the same kind of gift that money is. It's morally neutral. It can be a great gift, but it's a gift that must be handled with great care because it has tremendous power over the human heart. Power so strong that it could change you before you recognize you're being changed by it. How many of you, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have someone in your life you love, you know wealth, you've known for years, and as their money increased, they changed in ways you could see, but you could never get them to see that they've changed. Your money has changed you. No, it has. I'm still the same guy. No, your money has changed you. And the funny thing is, since the time we started at this church, I've gotten more money. And I think it's changed me too, but I probably don't see all the ways. There are certain gifts that are inherently morally neutral, but carry so much spiritual power that if they're not handled carefully, they can change you very deeply and before you're even aware it's happening. Money is like that, but so is comfort and security. It produces in the end, it can so easily ferment into self-reliance and complacency. Because once we're comfortable, the thing we value most is to stay that way. And many people who are comfortable and complacent can look back to a day that was so disruptive in their life and how they rolled with it. They had resilience, they had toughness, and they're like, yeah, I totally remember those days. I could go through anything. I ain't ever going back there, but I remember what it was like to sleep on park benches and eat cup ramen every day. I, I did that getting here, but I will never go back. The thing about permanent homes and the security and the comfort that comes with them is that they begin to change things inside of us. So I believe that as they're on their way to this permanent home, God is training them in a way that says, you will never stop needing me to lead you. There's nothing like having everything you need to make us forgetful of God. I don't know, have you noticed that? I think about God most when I need something. That's every kid who goes away to college. I guarantee you, until they're broke, they will forget they had a family. I did. I, I went to university for five years in Champaign-Urbana. I came home for a total of about five weeks during those five years. And often when I came home, it's because I didn't leave empty-handed. <clears throat> We're like that with our Heavenly Father as well. So I think God is trying to teach them You've got to learn now to always follow me and not just your senses and your wits. I think that's important for us to hear as a church because today we're going to celebrate that God, after 27 years, has granted us a permanent home of our own. We have a building, and it's our building. I'm still not used to it. 
I keep walking in and asking permission if we could do this. I'm like, we do whatever we want now. It's our house. If I want to spray paint a wall orange, I can do it now. I get in trouble, but I can still do it because we're not going to get in trouble from the owners of the building. That's us. And yet nothing about this process has been quick or easy. We're either the slowest, dumbest church that ever existed, or God was working in an interesting way because it took us over 10 years to find a building that we could call home. And we looked at a lot of them, right? Goldilocks only had to try three beds and (laughs) three bowls of porridge. Listen, we looked at dozens of buildings. So much time spent walking around empty warehouses. We finally got one. And even once we found one, I don't know where Pastor Stan is, but hey, was that, was that process easy? Was it convenient? Was it like falling off? It was painful almost every step of the way. Painful enough, we were like, is this really God's will? Because isn't that how it usually works? If it's too inconvenient, too difficult, surely this can't be God's will. Because everything that's God's will, it just slides right out. It's lubricated all downhill. That's how God works. In our case, that wasn't at all. It was hard every step of the way. And we have needed God at every turn of this journey. And I think what God wants us to hear today is that we will never stop needing Him at every turn ahead. There's nothing like getting what you are after to finally go, oh good, it's done. No more depending on anyone. That's just not true of us. We'll never stop needing him to lead us. I really wish we had something as clear as a pillar of cloud to lead us because as a church, we still have some really big decisions ahead of us. And everybody's got strong opinions about what the right move is. Ironically, at a time when we should be celebrating the greatest acquisition of our church's history... We're also at the edge of what could divide us right down the middle based on opinions and preferences and passions. We choose to buy a building right at the cusp of what might likely be a massive economic recession. We're choosing to do a capital campaign for a build-out at a time when supply chains are disrupted and construction costs are skyrocketing, and we're having to ask hard questions, not just what makes sense, but what does God want? Because we, could, we have so many smart, analytical people. We have people in this church that run corporations, that handle hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. We are not lacking in insight and analytical power. We're certainly not lacking in strength of opinion. Oh, we have lots of opinions in this church. Strong ones. We don't have to go, what do you really feel? It's right there. None of those things by which we usually navigate life are absent here. We have tons of that. But what we need more than anything is to know in this situation, what does the living God want for His church? Knowing that sometimes... That's exactly not what we would have guessed or chosen for ourselves. 
As I say that, do you recognize how dangerous a statement that could be? Because that could just be another power grab to say, so don't argue with us, just do what we say. That's not, I don't want you to hear that at all. See, we don't have a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire to lead us, but we have something better today. We have the voice of our shepherd. John 10, chapter, chapter 10, verse 4 says this, After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. Let me end this way. We have something better but more subtle than a giant pillar of cloud. The pillar of cloud would be my preference, if I'm honest, because there's no disputing that. Everyone's like, why are we moving, Dave? I'm like, look at the cloud, man. It's not my call. I didn't decide any of this. Let's just go. And everyone's like, what are we going to do? I'm not going to argue with God. So you go. Oh, I wish we had that right now. Because it seems today that whatever we decide, half of us are mad. It's just the way the world is now. Jesus says he walks ahead of his people and he talks to them. And we will follow if, and this is the big caveat, if we know his voice. Did you notice that it's not just the leaders who know that voice? But it's the whole flock. Every sheep in that flock has access to that voice. That's a true statement, but it cannot be an assumption or a presumption. Don't believe that just because you have a strong opinion and just because you go to church, that's the voice of God. It is not a small thing to claim that what I feel, what I believe, what I intend is the will of God. No leader in their right mind says that frivolously. Neither should the members of the church. If we want to move together as a congregation, it has to be more than the strength of our own voice that leads us. Otherwise, the most aggressive, the loudest people will carry the day. And I don't want to be a part of that church, do you? Where the brain donkeys rule us. The angriest people decide, I don't want to be a part of that church. I don't think any of us do. But in order for us not to be that, we must be a congregation where each of us is able to hear the voice of God so that when we hear Him together and there's agreement, we all recognize it deeply in a part of our spirit that walks with Jesus. Our shepherd is speaking to us and we don't get His leading, but we will follow Him because He's told us to go. I have no agenda in saying that. I'm a human being, so I have my own preference, my own passion, my own point of view about how we should decide things. But this was never my private business. This is not my thing. This is our church. I want us to navigate the future together. And the only qualification we need to have a voice in that is that we know how to recognize the voice of our shepherd. If all you have is the strength of your opinion, I would ask of you, Wait until God really confirms that, speaks to you. You heard his voice. When that happens, speak loud, speak with conviction, fight for that position. If you really believe that God is leading us and not just your own passion, your own pers perspective, your preference, then speak and fight so that together we will discern his voice together. But if it's just you and you're shouting, it harms us.
in the end. And that's as true for us, for me as the lead pastor here, as it would be for you. It's dangerous to have the kind of authority God's entrusted to me and the elders of the church because we also are human beings and we have a human voice, our own voice. One of the things you could be praying all the time for us is make those elders leaders who know the voice of God over their own voice. And it's something you could be praying for yourself. Because in the days ahead, we're about to have a home of our own, a permanent place. And there are so many massive weighty decisions that still remain for which there is no clear answer what God wants. Not yet. There are many clear answers what we'd prefer. But we're going to wait to hear what God says. I want all of us to be a part of that discernment process. Would you accept that invitation to take very seriously your calling to hear the voice of your shepherd? And when you hear his voice, amplify it. Tell us what he's saying. If we live that way, we will be a people that God leads together. And if we don't live that way, our church will become one of thousands of churches in America that have descended into becoming battlegrounds for everyone's own position on everything. I think I speak for all of us, don't I? When I say that doesn't sound attractive at all. To have to come to church and just duke it out for everything and let the strongest personalities win. God sees what we don't see. God knows what we don't know. And as he begins to speak to us, we will have the faith and courage to follow even when he takes us places we would never choose to go for ourselves. That is critically important for us to hear as a church because in the days ahead, there will be many such things by which we could joyfully move together as a church or see us divided as a family. I think the choice is clear what we all want. Please don't... I have to speak in fine print all the time nowadays, it feels like, but I have to constantly address what I don't want you to hear me saying because you might be hearing it. This is not saying don't speak up. It is not saying your opinion doesn't matter. It is saying the greatest service we offer to one another is to hear the voice of our Father, our Good Shepherd, to be led by him so that together we will find our way to what God is actually saying to all of us. And when we have that, I think we'll have the courage and the guts to attempt crazy things that don't make logical sense because this has always been his church. It will always remain his church. We will benefit greatly, but he has the right, he alone, to lead us. Please pray for the leaders of this church that there will be humility a brokenness in the way that we carry any authority that we have. And pray for yourselves that God would speak as clearly to you as he would to any leader in this church so that together in the days ahead, we would move forward confidently and filled with faith about what God wants for us. Amen? If you're upset, write me later. But if you're not upset, if you're moved at all, would you just give me a smile or something? Okay? Thank you. 
Why don't we just do this? Right now, let's, 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 uh, I'm, I'm done talking. Let's, let's pause for a moment here. There's a point during a sermon where the preacher speaks, but there are also points in and after the sermon where the Holy Spirit speaks. The preacher says something to all of us, but the Holy Spirit says something to each of us. It's that time right now that I want to ask you to be quiet and hear what is the Lord saying to you specifically regarding the days ahead and the climate in which we live? I think anyone who knows me or you well has no mystery any longer where you stand on everything. It's the nature of our, our life today in America is that our opinions walk before we do. That our opinions are sometimes more forceful than our character. But what is it that God is saying to you? Can you hear his voice? And if we all hear his voice together, can you imagine what it would feel like to be a part of this place? That's our simple prayer. That this would not be an elder-led church or a leader-led church, but a Jesus-led church. We've got to cry out to him to do that because it's his church all along. He gets to do what he wants. So let's give him some, some open hearts and a, a bit of silence to hear what he's saying to us. And then I'll close us before the prayer. Lord, we confess that though we're smart, though we have our wits about us, we don't always know what it is that you want. We know very clearly what we want. But I pray, Lord, for all of us that we would become a church that increasingly knows and hears what you want. Start with each of us at an individual level, Lord. For we're asking the question all the time. Should I stay? Should I go? What is best? What is right? What should I do? And as we come together as a church family, that's exactly what we're asking together. And so we pray as a church that you who speaks sometimes loudly and so often in a quiet whisper, you would open our ears and our hearts to be able to hear and recognize your voice in the noise of even our own voices or the voices around us. Lord, give us in this church unity and peace that is not cheap or casual but it's produced because we together hear you. We pray that discernment would be the responsibility of our whole congregation. And you would speak and we would hear. And when we move, we will move together. Living God, guard our unity as a church we've had extraordinary unity for so many years we're seeing that ripped apart at every level of our society preserve the unity and the peace of our church if the church needs to change change the church if I need to change change me but preserve the unity of your church 
We want to be useful to you. We want to be a delight to you. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.